Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned With Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us now. Let's get started. Have you ever reached a crossroads in your life where you come to evaluate and challenge the path that you're on and maybe some of the decisions that you've made in the past? Our guest today, best-selling author and coach Dan Stanley, got to that point in his mid-30s of what is sometimes called the midlife crisis. And it set him on a path to re- really build on the successes and achievements that he'd made to date, but also to reevaluate some really important things that he wanted in his life. And having at that point decided to separate initially from his wife, he reevaluated and rebuilt the relationship based on some different ideas, different paradigms. And he now works with men going through similar challenges rebuilding their lives after a crisis. We're going to be exploring some of the top misconceptions that can keep us men particularly stuck and how we can look to reevaluate them. And while this is aimed at men, even if you've got an important man in your life, it's still going to be an essential listen. So let's jump in. So Dan, firstly, welcome to the show. Hi Matt, thank you for for having me on and uh, giving me the platform to share my message. That's great to have you, Dan. Really, really looking forward to the conversation. And first thing I wanted to ask you, Dan, was what do you consider to be some of the biggest challenges that we men have, you know, in our culture, society, and particularly how they impact on us in relationships? Yeah, I think, Matt, that the gender conditioning that we all experience as, as, as young boys or adolescent men, almost in a way, and I'll, I'll give more context to that in a moment, almost sets us up to, to fail, particularly in the second half of our lives, when we're in that kind of that space where we have serious you know serious uh, commitments in terms of our work but also we have responsibilities at home whether that's in relationships or in terms of uh, in terms of being a parent so kind of you know if we look at that gender conditioning just just very quickly you know from a place of societal conditioning parental conditioning and perhaps educational conditioning there's an expectation that young men or young boys will go on to further education into academia they will start a business or join a corporate uh, corporate organization uh, and they'll they'll try to prove their worth through their work and I think in many respects, it's kind of creates this, I call it the myth of masculinity. It was a phrase that I coined for my book. Uh, and the myth of masculinity is how the flawed thinking that professional success equals personal happiness. And I think because a lot of men are kind of prioritizing their work and their professional careers over their health, their happiness and their relationships, it inevitably, particularly in that kind of that middle stage of life, you know, challenges can come to the surface. Mm, I see. I'd love to understand a bit more about that process. And it sounds like you've gone through this and you've, you're very familiar with this process by which we sort of come to maybe stop and reevaluate, which can look like some kind of crisis or breakdown or something. What typically is going on, would you say, at, at that time? The thing that kind of shows us that we're having a problem here? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I imagine you use the word process by chance then, Matt, in your, in your dialogue. But actually, it almost is like a process. And kind of like this traditional game of life that, that we're conditioned into, kind of as I kind of alluded to through academia, business or career, kind of, you know, get married, have children, buy a house, kind of then kind of when we have some disposable income, we invest that in either bigger properties, more expensive cars or more luxurious items, uh, which, you know, if we if we look back at this, we call it the rat race. You know, we're almost conditioned to to participate in the rat race. and uh, And the reality is then that, you know, when you're in a space where instead of having a a work-life balance, you're in a state of work-life conflict. Um, you're perhaps having an inability to relax or switch off from work. Your head is in your device, checking emails or social media. You know, inevitably, people at home 
loved ones, children are going to recognize that you might be physically in the room, but mentally and emotionally, you can be absent from your your relationship or, or your duties as a, perhaps a parent or as a father. So I think, you know, when this is happening for a prolonged period of time, that some frustrations can build up, some resentments can come to the surface. And, and you know, we're, we're never taught. We never taught how to interpret our feelings, how to manage our minds, how to communicate. These aren't general teachings in day-to-day life. They're ones that we learn through from experience. So if we don't have the ability to, to manage our minds, to maintain our relationships, to communicate effectively, then these frustrations can, can really show up in, in, in quite adverse consequences, um, like I experienced in my marriage. Mm, I see. If we can talk a bit more about your personal experience, Dan, if you're happy to share that, I'd love to, because I know you share a bit about this in your book and in your writings, but um, yeah, I'd love to understand a bit more about your personal journey and how you got to be so passionate about this area and uh, what we're talking about. Thank you, Matt. So I'm going to start with a quote, and the quote is this, it's an Einstein quote, and it is accurately attributed to Einstein. He said that adversity introduces a man to himself. And in 2017, I was a retired award-winning army commando, national sporting champion. I was helping my wife grow a multi-million pound service-based business. And um, the reality was my success was superficial. I've kind of, at the age of 34, kind of, I'd uh, accumulated all the, the the trappings, you know, the, the, the clue is in the word, the trappings of success. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, you know, I... I didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't feel as I was living life true to myself. I kind of feel looking back now and connecting the dots that I kind of got sucked into societal success rather than my own version. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a perfect storm. There was some shame and some embarrassment. There was also an inability to communicate uh, how I was feeling. And uh, despite having good people around me, I, I chose to, to man up instead of opening up. Uh, inevitably, the, the pressure, the self-induced pressure and isolation I created um, take, took me to a place of, of real adversity. Uh, so much so that uh, my wife and I, we, we separated for around eight months. I see. So you're in this phase of like, I guess the the understanding you had at that point was you just needed to tough it out or something or just keep going and then that finally culminated in what what, what happened eventually yeah yeah my my uh my my approach to this was to busy myself in work and in exercise uh in a, in an, a, an attempt to avoid the the discomfort and the adversity of my own my own life experience and you know it kind of this was an inside out problem you know I was the way I was thinking and feeling about myself and then being resistant and incapable almost because of that gender conditioning um and you know when i when i look at this in a little bit more focus i feel that as young boys and as adolescent men you know from again educational societal and parental kind of conditioning you know we're, we're taught essentially to, to be strong you know that the narrative from such a young age you know but big boys don't cry uh then it kind of as we mature it comes into you know manning up uh, and it's almost as if you know we're we're expected to be strong all of the time and if all you have is strength and then you don't have any left, you know, you kind of kind of kind of fall down pretty quickly. So the first part of conditioning is strength. The next part, Matt, when I look at this is we're, we're taught to be silent. You know, this kind of it's like the first rule of fight club is very similar. To the first rule of masculinity. Don't talk about what it's like to be a man. Uh, and because we're strong and we're silent, you know, the the, the little bit of kind of you know, frustrations or the, some small life challenges, instead of being able to manage them when they're kind of uh, manageable, that they, they can escalate very, very quickly. Uh, and the, the last part of this gender conditioning that I refer to in my book, Rethinking Masculinity, is the, the need to be successful. Uh, and through the lens of societal success, 
and what that looked for for men of a previous generation, you know, perhaps our, our fathers and, and, and their fathers was very much around successful masculinity meant that you provided for your family. You provided for them financially. And, and that meant that you also kind of gave a provision of protection. But the, the world has moved on rapidly, but masculinity is still kind of, in my in my perspective, falling behind. Yeah, so we take on these ideas from society about what success is and how we should be and how we should deal with this stuff. And then what, what I'm hearing, Dan, is you say that eventually it gets to a point of a, a crisis for many, you know, where we just can't hold that together anymore in that way. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Kind of what got you here won't get you there. Uh, and it kind of coincides around that juncture of midlife. You know, at that point, you're probably pushing on in, in your career or your business is is, is producing a, a, you know, a, a healthy return. Uh, and, you know, the reality then is a lot of men will achieve their goals. They'll get to the point or position that they kind of set themselves as a bar of success. Uh, and then they won't put, then they'll put themselves out to pasture. There'll be no obvious intent then around their next goal. And, uh, and the reason I feel that happens, Matt, for many men is Tony Robbins describes it best. He, he calls it the ultimate failure. Uh, and that is, that is success without fulfillment. And there's a lot of men out there that are kind of, you know, got to position that they were the, associate with being successful but they don't have the fulfillment the sense of happiness the purpose uh, that they felt would ac accompany their professional success and i think that goes on there matt and you know in the book i talk about the top five challenges affecting modern day masculinity uh, and then this all fits in together into you, you'll see how this process to use your word kind of really fits into this. So that the process is is very much around conditioning sets us up onto this trajectory in life. We get to a point where perhaps without realizing it, we become workaholics, you know, and uh, I, I describe, you know, workaholism, you know, somebody's experiencing burnout uh, either repetitively or they've been there once or twice in their life. The reality is there's probably a, a high dependency or around their personal identity of what they do in their world of work. Because we're overworking and underliving, which I think is, is is very much true of today's society, particularly with working from home and those lines been blurred even more. You know, a lot of men tend to prioritize the 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 urgent over the important, i.e. their the friendships and their relationships. So they end up in a, in a space of loneliness. And um, that recently there was some data published by the, the charity Mind, uh, and it was quite concerning. It was 32% of men don't have a best friend. You know, in their hour of need, you know, 32% of men, a third almost of men don't have somebody that they can call, they can pick up the phone, they can use as a sounding board or a sense checker. They're kind of just stagnant in that space of, of, of lo loneliness and isolation. So between bur burnout leads to loneliness. Loneliness, if you then don't manage the challenges that life creates, can lead to poor mental health. And whether that's a fear of the future in terms of anxiousness, anxiety, or whether that is kind of, um, you know, a, a, a state of regret or, or frustrations that lead to depression around the past, you know, it can then spiral into midlife crisis. And, you know, it's it's kind of a, a it's almost an, a natural evolution that a man is typically going to get to a place where he has to redefine and rethink who he is in the second half of his life. And some men rise to the challenge in in a, in, a, in a crisis and it becomes an adventure, but some men don't have the capacity to, to do that and they spiral down. And if you're in a state of, of crisis and you have an inability or reluctance to talk about how you're actually feeling in your own life, you know, the chances are if you're in a relationship or a marriage, this is kind of my journey, but the journey of many men, you will end up in a state of, of marital conflict and uh, 
you know, and I think statistically, if you look at the data, particularly off the back of COVID, you know, in, in the in the months after the first pandemic lockdown, there was a hundred and twenty-two percent increase in in the number of divorce applications, um, because a lot of people were kind of struggling, but had the inability to communicate and have that kind of emotional intimacy in their relationships, not physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, to really communicate about what was going on. I see. Yeah, makes sense, Dan. Absolutely. And- just talking about this, like these poor mental health outcomes, you know, for yep. men. So if we've been buying into these kind of ideas and maybe struggling and having some of the negative effects that you're talking about, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, how would that then manifest itself or show up in your relationship? How could it impact on things? Yeah, um, I, I think early on I mentioned, you know, about kind of not being available. You know, if you've got a, a busy mind, you know, the, the first thing is, you know, if you're not sleeping, if some, if you're anxious before you go to bed or you can't sleep when your head hits the pillow, if you're waking in the night, you know, and you can't get back to sleep, you find that your mind's always racing. You know, that is a symptom of poor mental health. But a, a lot of men will kind of, I suppose, condition themselves to think that that's a normal part of day-to-day life when it, when it absolutely isn't. And I hope already the listeners kind of here have realized I'm not here with a message of hope. I'm here with a message of change. You know, ultimately, my vision for for better men, my business, and my book, Rethinking Masculinity, is that the men of today and societally, the the people of today, can redefine the standards of successful masculinity, so we don't pass across our problems to the next generation, our sons and daughters, tomorrow's men and women. So, yeah, I think sleepless nights, racing minds, kind of irritable, uh, quick to anger, um, maybe a withdrawal or a sense of detachment, a sense of apathy, or perhaps an inability to to feel a sense of enthusiasm and motivation for the life that we've built. And yeah. uh, you know, many of these things I do think stem from overworking and underliving off the back of the myth of masculinity, the belief that professional success equals personal happiness. I guess it makes sense, Dan. Um, I, I'm guessing that those things you're describing, it's like your personal journey as well that's kind of how it worked for you and i'd love to hear a bit more about how that sort of led to a culmination in your relationship and how you worked your way through that as well yep so we didn't work our way through it it, at the the point of of crisis we 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 separated and uh you know with a, a young family um and being at a stage of our lives where you know we should have been really enjoying the things that we worked hard for kind of being separated both my wife and I leaving the marital home and living in rental accommodation in the early stages of divorce engaging solicitors and and people to act on our behalfs you know Matt it was a a really complex time mentally and emotionally and uh you know for a period of, of those eight months where we were separated I really just hid in work uh, I hid an exercise uh, and at the time, uh, you know, I was competing in rowing and I'd be standing on national sporting podiums because, you know, I was using my sport as a mechanism to avoid the reality of my life. And uh, yeah, so we separated for, for eight months. Um, it's a really complex um, mentally and emotional time for both of us. And uh, there's a, a few kind of sliding door moments, Matt, but I think the first that's probably appropriate here for, for, for the listeners would be the the worst day of my life Tomorrow's my birthday. I'll be 39 tomorrow. But the worst day of my life was Christmas Day 2017. My Our daughter was one. Uh, we were both living, as I said, in rental accommodation in the early stages of divorce. And um, we'd made the, a, a joint decision that my daughter should spend Christmas Day with my wife and her parents. And then I would have her on Boxing Day. And, and uh, we'd kind of split our time up uh, in that format. On Christmas Day, my wife and I FaceTime so I could see uh, our daughter. And uh, my wife and I both looking into the FaceTime camera, kind of both of tears rolling down our face. You know, like, we've got to, we've got to address this. So we met on Boxing Day. 
Uh, actually, something else happened actually is really useful here. So uh, on that same day that we had that kind of video call, you know, um, I came off the call and I went for for a run on the, the beaches in South Wales. Uh, just me and my Spaniel came home and uh, opened a bottle of red wine, uh, drank it probably too quickly. And in the drawer, I don't know where this kind of came from, but it, intuitively I, I feel as a, you know, part of me knew that there's probably some answers in this book. And uh, I opened the drawer, started turning the pages of a book that had been gifted to me about six months prior. And it's a fantastic book. I'd recommend it to anyone listening to this podcast. It's called Untethered Soul by an author called Michael Singer. And within the first 50 pages, uh, I, I realized, Matt, something that no one had ever taught me. And it was that I could manage my mind. I could dial down the volume on that kind of constant chatter, that that inner critic that was chastising and criticizing everything that I'd done and making me particularly anxious about the, the trajectory of my future. So I kind of read this book and, uh, init- and, and, and almost immediately dialed down the volume on that dialogue that was in my mind. And for the first time in, in months, perhaps a year or so, I had some space between my thoughts that enabled me to bring some rational thought to how I was feeling and what I was experiencing and the choices and decisions that I was making. So, mm. so the next day, my wife and I, we made the decision to, to meet and uh, we went for a walk and uh, to the outside world looking in, you know, I was carrying my daughter in one of those kind of uh, baby harnesses on my back. And she was one at the time, um, you know, both of my wife and I, and we've got a, a chocolate spaniel running around and sniffing everything on the beach probably looked like a perfect family, you know, from the outside in. But the reality was that we were, you know, we were in a stage of, of divorce, kind of looking at each other as strangers and kind of trying to work out how we'd arrived at this point. And uh, although this is my story, I wouldn't say this journey is unique to, to my wife and I. I think a lot of couples, when they they start to spiral into conflict through resentment and frustration, because they have an inability to communicate kind of what's really going on for them, they focus on the symptoms and not the root cause. And then as we look, particularly in the UK, for people to seek external support, like marriage counselors or somebody to, to help them, like a marriage coach, you know, kind of we arrived at this place. So by chance, we ended up in a in a in a, in a pub restaurant, a gastro pub on the beach uh, in, in South Wales, a popular venue, Oxwich Bay. And uh, all of these people are sat around us in, in Christmas hats and the pollen crackers and listening to festive music. And there's a real jovial atmosphere while my wife and I are kind of sat there as strangers. And uh, my wife said, I'll take you back. They were her words. And um, I don't really know where this kind of came from, but essentially I communicated that that can't happen, that there's work that we need to do individually and together to rebuild a new marriage. And taking me back simply won't solve the challenges that we're experiencing. Uh, we did that and we did that. Fantastic. That's a, that's a great story. And uh, yeah, really inspiring to you know show that it's possible, you know, to bring it back from the brink, you know, with the right support and resources and uh work you know work ethic which it sounds like you you had so that's a, that's a really great story um just wanted to ask you you mentioned the word fulfillment earlier you know and said that this is often the bit that's missing you know we might look like we've got all the the trappings as you say and a great word yeah. is, is, I, I love that that point but then if we don't have this fulfillment then we're missing something really important i'd love to understand a bit more about what that is and how do we get that what what, what would you say the ingredients to getting that fulfillment yeah, I, I think that success is subjective, and essentially, it's 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 the, the the balance between what our expectation is and then what our reality is that we create. 
So if we have an expectation that because we maybe, you know, earn a six-figure sum or we have a profitable business, that that's going to create a sense of happiness, i.e. the myth of masculinity. And then we have these things. So there's the expectation. But our reality is that we're kind of constantly busy. We can't switch off. Our friendships have drifted. Our marriage is hanging on by a thread. The reality then is very different to our expectation. So instead of a sense of fulfillment, which I would describe as, you know, as a feeling of of contentment, feeling content in who you are, what you've created, how you're living your life, a deep sense of connection to yourself and those people that you value and love. You know, the opposite is, is actually true because people are kind of in this state of work-life conflict. I see. Yeah. So it's kind of, and, and from what you're saying that quite often it's like overwork can be one of the obstacles or causes of this imbalance, which is what I'm hearing, because I, I don't think you're saying that the work itself is anything wrong with it. You know, it has a place, but it's more, the balance of between the work and everything else is that is that fair to say absolutely matt i think there's a there's almost a natural shift when you get to the point that you decided or the level or the bar of success that you set yourself you know regardless of what that might be because as i said it's very it's highly subjective once you're there you know instead of trying to push on and achieve more in your in your professional career recognize that by creating that stable foundation financially through your profession or your business or your career that means now you can actually throttle back slightly to make a few subtle ch changes to your to the way that you live each day uh, and then to reinvest that time effort and energy away from work whilst maintaining what you built but reinvesting it into your health your happiness and your relationships and you know quite frankly that is what the the better men blueprint is about it's about moving away from this kind of successful masculinity about being a provision financially and, and protecting your family to yes. so i suppose making yourself a priority in your own life you know, really, really focusing on yourself, the things that are important to you, like committing to them wholeheartedly without any sense of, you know, sense of selfishness. I see. Yeah, I get it. And I'm just wondering, though, um, is there a, I guess, one of the challenges that some people can have at this point? I don't know whether you've come across this or you've got any views on this, but I'm thinking about one person I know in particular here. It's like, you know, as you go up the corporate ladder, it kind of gets more and more demanding and intense and it's like the level of performance required of you, you know, to maintain that sort of level just kind of ratchets up and up and up and up and up. And I'm just wondering, you know, how do you then sort of scale that back? I mean, does it require, for example, like changing job maybe or changing career or what? how, how would you balance it in that situation? I think for many people listening to this, it's not as drastic as changing career or changing job. It's recognizing that the skill sets that you've employed to get you where you are, can they can both be a positive, but they can also at a certain point become a hindrance. So a lot of people when they're climbing a ladder will take a, a high degree of control and they'll want to be involved in every single decision and project and conversation and meeting. And the reality is that you get to a point where kind of it's okay to delegate. It's okay to hold people accountable. It's okay to lead other people in a way that perhaps is slightly more assertive, compassionately assertive, to ensure then that you can put your phone away or turn your laptop off or not be working at weekends or on holidays. So I, I'm a real advocate of pursuing professional success, but also equally recognizing at a point when it becomes a consequence or becomes detrimental to the quality of life that you live. Mm, I see. So it's like recognizing that flip over almost where the thing you've been building starts to not only solve some problems, but to create some problems as well. That's it. Yeah. And, and it coincides around middle age for, for many of us now, you know, for men of previous generations, kind of it happened perhaps in their late forties and fifties, but now for a lot of men, it's kind of coming in the thirties and forties. You know, I call it the messy middle, 
you know, and I, I kind of touched upon it earlier. It's kind of, you know, when life, there's, there's, there's some real challenges in life and it appears that work and life uh, kind of oppose each other. And for people that don't have, you know, um, maybe a, a coach or someone to support them through those challenges, it, it can be a really oppressive time. You can feel as though, you know, there's, there's there's no there's no wriggle room, there's no there's no space, there's no capacity that you kind of you're on this trajectory as a weight of momentum behind you, and you have to keep going to get to this place of success. But the reality is, for many men, you know, you can just by choosing to manage your mind, to connect with your friends and your family, to reinvest your time, your effort and energy in the things that you really enjoy, you know, by doing that, it almost creates less room for work. So it's about a deprioritization of work and a reprioritization of life. I see. I get it. It makes perfect sense. And um, one of the like things you touched on in the book, one of the many things that I loved in the book, actually, about um you talk about the messy middle and also about our mortality. You know, you talk about the things that we end up, you know, looking back on as we review our life or think about what we've achieved or not achieved through our lives. And then, yeah, so I love that sort of perspective that you bring in. I'd love for you to share something about like why that is so powerful, why it's so useful to bring in that sort of bigger perspective of our life and where we want to get by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, my my book is particularly provocative and 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 challenging at times. You know, I, I think we need to recognise that the, the patriarchy, the the system that was set up by men of previous generations, um, is broken. It no longer serves us, and we we do need to make some real fundamental changes. And when I was kind of writing my book in the first chapter, kind of where I draw, uh, I, I shine a real light on the challenges that I say that are affecting modern day masculinity. The ones I mentioned earlier around kind of workaholism, loneliness, poor mental health, midlife crisis, and divorce. Kind of it is this natural process of a man's journey nowadays. And when some people slip into midlife crisis, they don't come out. And the reality is that they they end up then treating life as if it's a task with no end, kind of reliving the same day over and over and over. And uh, you know, I think that there's a very need, real need to recognize that, you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a, I suppose, a, a social media meme around how success leaves clues. And you see these kind of billionaire gurus telling us all how to live our lives. When the reality is that they probably don't know either, but that because they've got a platform, they share these messages of, of intent. But I think it leads many people to to keep living the same day over and over. And really what people should be doing is looking for the, the clues of failure, not just the clues of success. You know, if you're looking at people ahead of you on the same trajectory, uh, they're perhaps divorced, they're unfit, they're overweight, they're unhappy, they're carrying stress in their face perhaps they're not the type of father that you would want to be in your in your life uh, for your children's life in your future you need to recognize what is it that they've done and in some cases make minor adjustments or in other cases do the complete opposite because if you don't and you kind of arrive at a place where you're you know you feel beyond being capable of making changes you know be riddled with regret and you know that would be such a travesty to get to a stage of life where you feel as though you know kind of you you've missed the opportunity because we all know that life's de destination is death but mm. you know often even when we've sat in funerals or we've gone to wakes and we'll have this kind of stark realization that you know at one at some point people will be sat or stood at our funerals or celebrating our life you know we've got to make a decision now like what do we want to be remembered for what will we use our time for? And if we don't do that and we get sucked into the, the the busyness and the barrenness of a busy life that revolves around work, you know, inevitably we'll get to a point where we, we look back and we're full of regret. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such a great uh, opportunity, isn't it, to wake up to this stuff that we kind of, we're, all, we're always given this opportunity, but whether we're always ready to take it is another matter. Um, I was just going to talk about, um, yeah, just on that point of mortality. I remember a few years ago when, like, 
quite a few of my parents' friends, you know, started dying. You know, all mm. the people that I'd kind of I'd seen around them growing up, and it's like, oh, they're not there anymore. And you know, family sort of re reshaped. But um, yeah. So what um, what kind of things can people start to do if if they're kind of thinking, well, yeah, I need to get a bit more aware. I mean, maybe that we you could even recognize that we're using some of the distractions that you mentioned earlier you named a couple you know exercise and and work but i guess there's many others as well right distract ways that we distract ourselves how can we sort of try to let go of the distractions and to be more aware more present would you say yep yep uh, um, if anyone visits my website they'll see underneath my logo is better men and underneath there's three words presence purpose performance and, and it starts with keeping a, a higher level of awareness and presence and intentionality to to the lives that we're living and you know the the way that we get them is to to slow down to we we typically live from our calendars or, di or our diaries so diarize some time for yourself to to sit to reflect to consider the type of life that you're living because if you don't kind of do that the reality is that you'll kind of slip into this this busyness of day-to-day of, of -day life you know reacting to the the challenges from work and responsibilities at home kind of prioritizing the urgent over the important and kind of life will just continue to kind of i suppose bumble on to a, to a place of almost mediocrity so slow down set goals you know, we will usually have goals around kind of uh, work goals, family plans around holidays, but what goals have we got for ourselves? So slow down, set goals, uh, move more. You know, so many of us now are kind of almost shackled to our desks or our places of work that, you know, we just don't move. And, uh, you know, when we move, when we do move, we go outdoors and we kind of have that ability to, to move and to, to generate some energy and to get outdoors and experience some fresh air. You know, it's, it's, it's called defocused attention. You know, if we're not listening to music or podcasts, we have the ability to let our mind just kind of shift left and right. And, and often what will happen in that space is that we'll probably kind of come to some kind of conclusion or formation of answers that help us move forward in our lives. So slow down, set goals, move more, connect, connect deeply, like really just put your phones down, leave them in separate rooms. You know, when you're sat with your loved ones really be in the room with them ask them questions engage them kind of make an effort to to make them feel valued and appreciated you know and, and whatever we give to them we will probably get back which will be really good for our own souls um and the last point matt you know fifth point here so slow down set goals move more connect deeply is to protect our time you know, it's our most valuable commodity, particularly when we're looking at the, you know, the the, the finality of, of of death, the context that you created, that you know, that you presented here. You know, we've got to protect our time because if we don't protect it, it won't be our our loved ones, our, our partners, and our children that that shout for our attention. It'll be work, it'll be social media, it'll be our addiction to our devices. I see. That's a great point. Such a well we're so blessed with technology aren't we but also it can be such a challenge when we just get lost in it it almost um starts working against us such a, a great point um, and i love that point around asking questions as well it sounds so simple but how often we don't you know we just we just sort of on a mission you know we're doing our stuff but we don't actually stop and engage with people find out how they're doing yeah. and it's it's such a gift you know not only to them but to us as well isn't it? when we take an interest in other people and what they're what they're doing so that's such a such a great point dan thanks for that um just wanted to come on to also you mentioned about the patri patriarchy you know our, this cultural thing about how you know masculinity hasn't always been let's say 
a, co a completely positive phenomenon in society. You know, it's been in some cases it can be have been, you know, domineering, abusive and um, actually taking away people's opportunities rather yep. than giving them opportunities. Um, and I just wanted to ask you whether you think that what the balance is that we're looking to strike here, you know, because you talked about provision earlier. And I guess a lot of men would listen to that and say, well, yeah, that actually providing does feel really good for me when I can provide for myself, my family and the important people for me. So I, I don't know, what is there some balance that we're looking to strike there in terms of that, you know, how we express that masculinity? Yeah, you know, so easy to nowadays label masculinity toxic. And, and I, I really don't believe that that is true, Matt. I don't believe that anybody, particularly men, set out to, to be toxic in uh, even in the relationships, in a societal or community context. But I do believe it's dysfunctional. And again, I really do believe based on my own experience and the kind of last four years now we're working with hundreds of men through my business, that this kind of over-indexing of career means that a lot of men can get so caught up either competing with other men or trying to prove their worth through um, gaining and collecting societal success symbols that kind of masculinity really is dysfunctional. Um, and the piece around provision, you know, again, it comes back to that almost natural conclusion where your career kind of stops providing the things that people really need. And then what you really needs to happen. And there needs to be a recalibration of how we're applying ourselves in our lives. And that provision then can show up from a place of, you know, emotional support for our children, uh, quality time for our loved ones, our wives and our partners. And, and that provision piece does need to shift. Mm, I see. So we can still, we can still provide, but maybe also to allow our partner to provide as well, sort of find a balance that, that works for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, integrate you know, to integrate work and life, you know, it's such a, such again, it's such a flipping comment. I, I do sometimes use it because everyone understands the context of work-life balance. But the reality is that if you're trying to balance work and life, you're probably never going to achieve it. Or if you do, it'll be in very, um, you know, it'd be very intermittent. There'd be no structure or logic or reason behind it. So kind of what I'd suggest instead is you find ways to, to integrate the two. And, um, you know, the best way that my wife and I, who's also very career focused, the best way we found this is to, to sit down and have honest dialogue to check in with each other, to communicate, to share a diary, to share our challenges, to share our wins, to really cultivate this, this sense of connection between us where we really deeply understand each other. And, and it takes time. It takes effort. It doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, but the reality is, you know, we've rebuilt a new marriage now from the adversity and the experience of our first, our first marriage that didn't work and didn't function. It was dysfunctional to say. And now we kind of at this juncture in our lives where we both have kind of profitable businesses. Uh, we both have a level of responsibility. We have two small children, but because we integrate our lives, not just try to separate work from life, we have this capacity to ensure that we're showing up uh, in the areas that are really important to us. And uh, in my book, chapter seven is titled self-leadership. And I think that's, it's a real skill, Matt, you know, I think societally, you know, well, I'll give an example here just to put this into context. When I was writing Rethinking Masculinity, kind of when I Googled leadership, just out of interest to see how many hits there would be on Google. There was kind of like 3.5 billion hits for leadership. When I Googled self-leadership, there's 850 million hits. So again, for me, it goes to articulate and illustrate how we're kind of, society tells us what to think and, and what to do, how to live our lives. And we're trying to tell everybody throughout how to, how to live their own lives through leadership, but we're not really considering how to lead ourselves. So when we're living with a high level of intentionality around the way that we think, feel, and act, and that's in alignment of our of our highest goals and the things that we really want to achieve in our life, you know, life gets really simple. 
because we have this direction, this sense of purpose, this deliberate intention. And, and that's how my wife and I, we live our lives, we manage our marriage, uh, and also we show up in every aspect of our lives. I see. Fantastic. That's a great, uh, yeah, great way to look at it. Yeah, sort of integrate everything um, everything together. Um, just going back to what you said about your the five different areas of action, I just wanted to jump into the one you mentioned about moving more and getting more activity. And I know one of the ways we connected, Dan, was around men and mountains, this thing that you yep. lead. And, you know, I've got to say, I think it's been fantastic and I highly recommend it to everyone. But would you like to say a bit more about men and mountains and also about how you work and what, what you do? Thank you, Matt. Yeah, Men and Mountains, it's a community project. There's no cost, no commitment. It's a, a group of like-minded men that recognize the need to take some time back from the day-to-day the -day stresses of, of, of life. And uh, we meet, physically, we meet once a month, usually in, in South Wales, but we've been up to uh, Snowdonia and to the Yorkshire Dales. We've been out to the Alps as well. Uh, we meet, we walk, we talk, we connect. And uh, it's 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 a really unique community. There's no sense of competition. There's no comparison. It's just good men that recognize the value of creating space for themselves and being around people of similar interest. And I think that kind of peer-to-peer -peer group really lends itself well today where, you know, we spoke about the digital connection earlier. You know, having that face-to-face, in-person interaction is, is so, so important for people to to, to have. So, uh, yeah, Men and Mountains was how we connected. And, uh, yeah, the group's gone from strength to strength. And it was born incidentally out of my own loneliness kind of off the back of uh my wife and i kind of going through this kind of adversity kind of stepping away from a lot of uh, friendship groups that i felt were kind of aligned to values that no longer served me around nights out alcohol um sporting occasions kind of uh, locker room humor you know i kind of stepped away from all those whatsapp groups and inevitably i, I was less invites for social interaction so rather than kind of spiraling into a place of victimhood i decided to take the lead and um i asked a few peers to come for come for a walk um, when I was in the military, I was a, a mountain leader so uh, I took a few people out on the on the mountain it was wet and windy in South Wales but the conversation was fantastic uh, along with the, the humor and uh kind of sat in the pub afterwards enjoying a pint rehydrating kind of just looking at the the energy that everybody felt despite walking kind of eight to ten miles there's a huge amount of, of energy created and uh very simply you know i invited uh, those people to, to 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 bring a friend to the next walk uh, and kind of organically the group's grown now there's about 280 men in a whatsapp group but there's about 400 people that have joined uh the the, the group more more widely so yeah That's kind of my yeah. I was just going to say on that, just before you go and talk about the rest of your work, Dan, just I to say to all the listeners, you know, what a fantastic, you know, experience it's been for me joining this group and how I think it's so conducive and positive to everything we've been talking about, you know, and how it fits with, you know, us men getting ourselves into a good place, you know, connecting with other like-minded people and getting some exercise and, you know, walking up a mountain together, it just fits so well. So I just want to say a massive, you know, well done for setting that up and a big thank you as well on the record from me for, for your efforts there, Dan. So Thank you, Matt. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Matt. I really appreciate your words. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, kind of um, Better Men was was founded four years ago. Um, I've worked with men that are professionally successful, but experiencing some frustration, uncertainty, or dissatisfaction with the life that they've created. Um, I offer different levels and different price points of, of my coaching services, but um, I've worked with men from New York to New Zealand. Um, I was actually looking at this the other day because my business is four years old, and uh, I've worked with men in about 
about 20 different countries, whether they are from those countries or whether they're on holiday. But it was quite it was quite satisfying and fulfilling to recognize uh, the, the, the impact of the work that, that I do. So uh, I've helped men to change or reignite their careers, to to scale or to sell businesses, to save their marriages as well, Matt, and uh, even to be successful in BBC's Dragon's Den. So yeah, my, my business, my coaching practice is called Better Men. Uh, the walking group that I lead is called Men and Mountains. My book is called Rethinking Masculinity. And uh, yeah, as I said earlier, it's a, it's a, it's a provocative and compelling read and uh, yeah, kind of I'm getting messages almost on a weekly basis from men that have read the book and they're like, bloody hell, I wish I'd read this 10 years ago, or this is giving me the answers to, to and the conviction and the courage to make some changes in my life because I recognize my trajectory. And uh, yeah, I also do some charitable work as well. I work with uh, a veterans group that specializes in helping um, ex-forces personnel gain sustainable employment in the construction industry. And uh, I, I do a piece on that around kind of emotional intelligence uh, and how to transition from the military to, to civilian world from a place of self-awareness and emotional intelligence and i also support two cancer charities that the first one is maggie's which have a center here in swansea where i live and uh, i do some group facilitation um, with men that are either experiencing cancer or caring for people that in their families that have cancer and uh and actually next year from january men and mountains is going to become a charitable partner of prostate cymru which uh, specializes uh in providing support for for men uh undergoing the challenges that prostate cancer uh, creates amazing that's such such fantastic work and uh yeah just want to say again well done for all your efforts in this space dan i can see you're so passionate about it and really putting some great work out there so yeah thanks a lot for joining us today um so just remind us what the website is just so people get that clearly i'll put it in the notes as well but just tell us what that is please Thank you. It's better-men.uk, better-men.uk. And uh, my, my most active social media platform is LinkedIn. If you just type in the, the search box, Dan Stanley, uh, I'll come up pretty quickly on, on LinkedIn. And uh, if people do go to my website, they'll find there's a range of resources from um, either diagnostic tools to assess kind of susceptibility to midlife crisis or to assess work-life balance. There's also the opportunity there to, to join Men and Mountains. As I said, there's no cost, no commitment. And uh, yeah, people, if they wish, can also, access my book on them and uh essentially the book is is free of charge but i do ask people to cover the three pound postage so if you're listening to this and you're looking for a read uh that's going to kind of give you maybe some of the answers that you're looking for in, in a life that you're living uh, i'd highly suggest that you jump on my website and, and access the book definitely well definitely i recommend the book to all our listeners as well so yeah just say thank you again dan for joining us really great to to connect and hear your wisdom and thanks again for sharing it with us today thank you matt enjoy the rest of your day Okay, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us. And please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review. Who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message? Share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life. See you on the next episode.